It's the coldest of cold cases. Five women murdered and mutilated in Victorian London. But trust me, everything you think you know about Jack the Ripper and his victims is wrong. I'm historian Hallie Rubenhold, and when I went back into the records, it became clear that the real story of those murdered women is richer and far more disturbing than we'd ever been told. Listen to Bad Women, The Ripper Retold, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a domestic violence victim shoots her abuser in self-defense. Why is the system criminalizing her survivorhood? We'll talk about the Limonada podcast, Believe Her. Then a man seeks out a psychiatrist to help him with his life. So he takes over every aspect of it. We'll talk about the Apple TV Plus adaptation of The Shrink Next Door. Join me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and sometimes love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. That's my name. Don't wear it out. (laughs) Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And I have found one more spot in my town to put a dead body this week. So oh. things are really looking up for oh me. God. I mean, this is a franchise that's going to go on forever. She's got a Google <laughs> spreadsheet, step pivot a- tables. Step away, Archer Mayor. Brattleboro ain't got nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I have been told there is an old well, a hand dug well in the basement of this old church. And someone's going to take me in and show me it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Perfect. A pile of bodies. We're going to hand dug well. And <laughs> or just one Laura Bricker sized body. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Kevin. And and finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast on iHeart, and our very own Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right, Kevin. Before we start the podcast, we are going to do a second week of something that we used to do a lot, and I'm really excited to bring them back. Shall we do it? Yeah, I think it's time to <clears> announce <throat> it. <clears throat> Ready? Mm-hmm. True, True crime update. That's right. Last week, we reviewed the completely outstanding podcast, Carrie Low Versus. And for listeners who checked out our review of that outstanding podcast, they heard you interrupting the beginning of our review, saying there had been a development. And the man who was on trial in that case uh, had been found murdered. And you have some updates about that case. You want to fill us in, Kevin? Yeah, the man in question, his name was Alexander Thomas. I do not believe they identified him by name they in did the not. podcast. He was the victim of an apparent homicide on the Saturday previous. So that means that in court this past week in Nova Scotia, that the sexual assault trial has been dropped. The defendant is well, dead. dead, and so they will not proceed with the case. So. What does that mean for Carrie Lowe? Well, it looks like she will not be getting uh, her measure of that kind of justice Mm. in a courtroom. It was also important because this was going to be one of the forums in which they would talk about the failings of the police. Now, in the trial for this defendant, Carrie didn't have a say, 
But what's interesting, and this is kind of, I think this went to your theory last week about why Constable Smith, who had seemed to have come out of the woodwork to be an ally for Carrie, why he suddenly was breaking off communication with her and appearing with the defense in the criminal case. That's right. Well, there were some filings that uh, they talked about in the Globe and Mail, which is a Canadian newspaper. And I, I feel bad, Kevin, because I, I had a theory and I was completely right. And I want to be like, yay, I was right. But it's not great because it was not good for Carrie Lowe at all. No, no. They mentioned like, you know, that there was a thing about uh, how the case affected the rights of the defendant. So in essence, what they were going to do is the defense was going to present Constable Smith and that he was going to describe about how all the ways that the police department messed up the exactly the same story. Exactly the he same story. Carrie, the police fucked it up. You know, there were supervisors that came in and told him other things. They told him the video evidence, you know, showed that she was lying. And then when he looked at it, he, he disagreed. It seemed to show that there was a crime. The defense was going to argue that all of those activities deprived the suspect of his rights. Correct. Correct. And so now they will not be able to make that court in that venue. But it's just really weird. And we, we just couldn't get over the reaction that, you know, Carrie tried to talk to Constable Smith and he made it seem like he was legally bound not to look at her. Right. right? So in a way that would be good for Carrie, but it doesn't no. really help her at so, all. Yeah. So he still believed her. But my theory that they got him to flip because he violated the defendant's rights Two, so they got him to flip sides. I, I bet he they had leverage on him saying like, well, we're going to sue you if you don't flip to our side. Like, that's probably what happened. Yeah, it's not a traditional flip like I'm contradicting myself. No. But same case, but for the other side. It's yeah. bananas. I've never heard of anything like this. Laura, have you ever heard of anything like this? Like, his story didn't change. He still believed her. The police still Mm-mm. fucked up. He's still a whistleblower. But now instead of doing it for Carrie Lowe... He's doing it for her alleged rapist. Is that not insane? It's fucking bonkers. Like, I don't understand the rationale. I I mean, I still don't understand the rationale. I mean, it's who knows? I mean, I've worked with a lot of defense attorneys, as you guys know, over the years, and some of them go outside the box. So maybe this was part of some like really outside the box strategy. But no. Yeah. I don't know. Well, he was either convinced that he was doing more of the right thing by being on the defensive side or he was in legal jeopardy in some way. He was like a double agent. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Toby? I thought there was more than one person that was involved in the sexual assault. There was. This is true, yeah. yes. Yeah, what's happening with that? Well, we it's not in this article, but man, it would seem like they... Should we be grateful that this half-assed police department arrested one person? Listen. You know? God damn it. All I know is that there's a bunch of stuff that Maggie Rar was able to report because she knew it. Yeah. There's probably a bunch of reporting that we don't know yet. I'm hoping in the future there will be a bunch more episodes of this story because it seems very unfinished in a way that, like, I would love to hear more of. Yeah. And look, this doesn't even go to, like, what was the circumstances behind this apparent homicide? Mm. I mean- doesn't appear to be related to this case, but who knows? I mean, in any event, there's still more to this story. And while Carrie has sort of deprived her day in criminal court against this suspect, she still should have her day in civil court somewhere down the road. Anyway, it was we all agree it was a superior podcast, a rage inducing story and something that we continue to talk about. And that sets us up perfectly yes. for our first review, Rebecca. It sure does. Are you guys ready to get into our first review? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get it done. Leading off. She says there was a gun. She says 
oh my god, it's over. In 2017, Nikki Adamando shot her husband and fled with her children. There had been investigations into whether her husband Chris had abused her, but police were not treating her like a domestic violence victim acting in self-defense. Nikki is sure she acted in self-defense. She thinks the fight for her life is finally over. I'm here to tell you that fight is just beginning. Because in our world, the only good victim is a dead one. For years, Nikki did the things most victims do, hide the abuse, disclose only to a confidant, but decline to press charges or leave the relationship. Rather than acknowledge this typical pattern of abuse, authorities used these behaviors against her, saying in a kill or be killed situation, she made the wrong choice. And I know it's not sexy, and it's not um, something that is plays well in the media to have a woman who appears to be a terrible victim of abuse to be actually the one who is the abuser. But that's what happened in this case. From Lemonada Media comes the podcast Believe Her. Host Justine Vanderloon talks to Nikki, those who back the story of trauma, and those who don't believe her. It sheds light on a part of our justice system in which survival is criminalized. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from Believe Her. So if you want to remain completely spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Kevin, this is a very challenging podcast from the start, and I don't I don't mean challenging like it's difficult to understand mm-hmm. or difficult to become enraged by or difficult to drop your head around. What I mean by challenging is that from the very beginning, it tells us the only good victim from the criminal justice standpoint and from the true crime consumer standpoint largely is a dead victim. I fucking love that framing because from the very beginning like i get it but i also acknowledge it's challenging you it's know what provocative I mean? yeah to put it that way yeah i mean there's two things we could talk about one is justine's writing style and her narrative voice i love it it's so different she's not taking the middle of the road kind of very staid and uh we're just going to look at it there's an urgency there there is a an edge um a, just a smidge confrontational I thought at first, are we going to get into sort of this intellectual discussion about, well, in which cases should we provide clemency just because we're talking about a homicide and are these extenuating circumstances and what is... Like a spectrum of self-defense, right? Like like yes, a spectrum right. of criminality. Right, right. Yes. I'll just say, like, I don't think that there's ever like, there should be something where it's just a past that in every case you just you well, know you okay. thought it was going right. to be that i thought it was going to be that look look because there is there is a legal and criminal justice logic to having that intellectual discussion you thought it was going to be that i yes not to say this is right so we're so not when saying it comes, that it's that you're saying you thought it was going to be that i was challenged by the end i'm glad i was challenged it's a really enraging case and because it was so enraging it got me looking at the issue in a different way Lara Bricker, from your first note, I see you agree with me. This was the angriest I have been listening to a podcast 
I want to say I was more angry listening to this podcast than I was listening to In the Dark Season 2. And I, I, you know, I was so angry listening to In the Dark Season 2, but at some level, like, I was less surprised by racism in Mississippi than I was by a woman whose domestic abuse was documented so meticulously that a county in the state of New York had identified her as a known victim of domestic abuse, so much so that her case was moved to a different county because the other county had identified her. There were cops who had called her a victim of domestic abuse in, like, danger of being killed. Yeah. Therapists she documented it with. She documented since she was a child. And your first note here says... This is one of the most clear miscarriages of justice we've heard about in a podcast since In the Dark. I'm so glad you agree with me on that. Can you please expand on your thoughts of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, listening to this was, as you said, absolutely enraging, but also fucking heartbreaking because this woman, what she went through was so horrific and she's coming from a cycle of abuse. So this bullshit line of, oh, well, everybody that she's around abuses her. Yeah, no shit, because she's coming from a dysfunctional background where she's been abused. It's like the prosecutors lost their memories and the police lost their memories about how being a victim works. But I think just listening to both sides of this, and I think that was one of the things that made me so angry, was you hear the people that she finally confides in. You hear about the horrific burning of the spoon on the vagina. I mean, like, I'm going to have nightmares about that forever. If Nikki was doing all this, slamming her head against furniture until her jaw fractured, burning her own chest and vagina, shoving objects up herself until her insides prolapsed, wouldn't Chris... If he was such a nice, goofy, wholesome dad, wouldn't he get her some help? You hear about her trying to get documentation and not being able to leave. And then you hear like this gymnastics lady who's like, oh, I just can't imagine Chris would do this. And you hear the backlash against her and you hear the people that are like slut shaming her and accusing her of being manipulative when it is so clear what happened here. Like, how can you hear about this case and not be clear about what really happened? And that was what I think was so enraging. It was like the biggest case of gaslighting that I've ever seen in my life because everyone's like, no, no, The internalized misogyny of many of the women in this podcast really disturbed and upset me. And it's very societal. It's not just these particular women. You know, we see it in so many cases. And I was telling Kevin, like, it causes me to look at so many podcasts that we've listened to about murdered men, when men were murdered by women, and also cases that we've looked at, like, just in the spectrum of, like, the history of, like, true crime. I told Kevin this morning, like, I'm looking at the Pam Smart case very differently right now. I mean, not that it's the same, the circumstances are the same. Pam Smart alleged that her husband abused her, and no one fucking believes her. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe we should look at that differently. She was a victim of abuse when she was a kid. They're in the same prison, Bedford Hills. I'm like, every time they said Bedford Hills, I'm like, that's where Pam is. And I'm I'm just saying we need to look at this because it's like, I don't know. So, Toby, this is what something Laura said just struck me, which is these same prosecutors, right? If she didn't kill this guy, it's very, very clear that he would have killed her. 
They flipped this ridiculous evidence. He had searches on his phone. How do I kill my wife and not get caught in between searches of Wednesday and next gymnastics meet and violent porn, right? So it's so clear that it's his phone searches. It's extremely clear that if she hadn't killed him, he would have killed his her. His fucking phone! That night, right? God damn it. So if it had been flipped, they would be prosecuting him. That's all I could think about. Like, they'd be prosecuting him, you know? So, like, with all that experience they have prosecuting abusers, that they would flip it. Did you find yourself thinking that? Like, these guys are prosecutors. They should know better. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's one of the big questions that comes out of it, I guess. I mean, it's not a big question, but it's a question that I was thinking about, at least, was why, as a prosecutor, would you tie yourself up in knots like this to try and make her look guilty and just from like a sort of Occam's razor, like the simplest explanation is most likely correct. You know, the idea that she's like for, you know, years been self-harming in these absolutely horrendous ways and then misrepresenting the injuries that she has and, and calling these horrendous burns like bug bites or like the what you get when you get a bikini wax or something. I mean, that, that that whole bit is like how do you how do you wrap your head around like why was that decision made? And then you know as Laura was saying, there's a certain amount of gaslighting coming from the the elected district attorney where he's talking about how how clear it was and how the people who reviewed the case did weren't in the courtroom and didn't hear the people talking. It's like, man, I don't, I don't actually believe that you believe this. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So then the question is, is why, why do it? And I, you know, I think they make a pretty strong case, and they they make it sort of specifically historically for about ten minutes. But then the whole rest of the thing is, is this sort of built-in sort of misogyny into both the justice system and in sort of social attitudes and when she talks to especially the frowning juror oh my god that lady. <laughs> she like parrots back all these horrendous misogynistic kind of stereotype things yeah. she caused it not me yeah and it wasn't self-defense i'm sorry and that's all i'm saying goodbye 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 thanks now you're annoying you know you kind of realize that i guess people just aren't paying attention or don't believe, but things about like leaving your abuser. Like if you don't understand that, that it doesn't happen the way that you feel like it ought to, that lots and lots and lots of abused women stay with their abusers. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Like you just haven't been paying any attention. I agree with all of you guys because it's like these prosecutors have never themselves prosecuted a domestic violence case. Like, they have no idea what these typical victim patterns are. Victims of domestic violence do things that seem like it's against their own self-interest because they are victims. It's not because they have a master plan to fucking kill the guy that they're with. Let's talk about what the master plan would have looked like. That long game. Yeah. The long game that they supposed. The long game, I want to kill you, okay? So Mm -hmm. I've married you. I've decided I want to kill you. So I want to kill you. So I decide to get a boyfriend who's going to pretend to be you on Pornhub, tie me up and beat me up, have sex with me. An unidentified boyfriend. An identified boyfriend pretending to be you, beat me up, tie me up, have sex with me, post videos of me horrifically beaten up, uh, who was going to like burn me, do all these horrible things to me. But you could even possibly make that case if there were a third person, quote unquote, accomplice. No, she has been what? 
injuring herself for years right. as part of a long con. A long game so I could kill you. All you can Instead see in this video is you. her tied up. You don't see somebody else. So it must just be her. How far backwards do you have to bend intellectually to make that happen? There is an incredible scene to me. I mean, there's so many incredible scenes and stories in this. I mean, every single episode, there was some new revelation that blew my fucking mind. And in episode five, uh, there's this you know revelation about the Pornhub stuff, the stuff that yeah. wasn't let in in the jury. And there is this cop. And they talk about the fact that he was brought in and she at some point, you know, was pretty you know, there was this long session with her where they had the documentation to have him arrested and she didn't end up signing it. And they're like, you know, it's like, why didn't she just do it or whatever? And I'm like, well, it would have been the first time her family, her children, his family ever knew he was an abuser. Right. Mm -hmm. She didn't tell. She she told her therapist. She told the music teacher. She told officials at the county like she did have a support network of people who knew who were actually like in the social safety net. But her family and his family didn't know, right? Yeah. So was the way she was going to tell them him being arrested and, like, breaking the whole family? That's fucking terrifying, right? Aside from the fact that he would have been arrested that day and probably let out and that she was probably going to be killed. Like, there's so many layers there. And Kevin's right. Like, the fact that these prosecutors using that against her as proof... If they were prosecuting Chris for for the domestic violence in this case, they would be the ones explaining Nikki's behavior as being typical of people in an abusive relationship. Instead, they're like, oh, she's the only person in the world who ever did it. Well, thank God that we're smart enough prosecutors to look through her evil designs. Well, and I will say, as somebody who has investigated um, from the defense side many, many domestic violence cases— the even more common scenario in this is they finally get to the point where there's a big scene. Something happens where the police are finally called. It finally gets reported and they get arrested and go to jail. And then I come in, Miss Defense Investigator. And they're like, no, it didn't happen like that. The police are lying and they recant. So the cycle of abuse and the behavior of domestic violence victims I feel like the police should understand that, but there is no one way that domestic violence victims are going to behave, and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be believed. You know, some of them may dissociate. Some of them may change their story. Some of them may take the abuser back because they're thinking, I, I this, you know, he's going to change or what, or she's going to change or whatever. So I was just kind of disheartened that in this day and age that we live in, that people that work in the criminal justice system don't know better because they should know better. This is not new. This type of behavior and these type of cases happen every day. I mean, this is like the bread and butter of being a police officer, of being a like local defense attorney. Then hearing this case where it is so blatantly obvious what happened being spun in a different way, I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I'm, you know what, you guys, if you want to know where I am, I'm going to be heading out to help, uh, you know, Justine with Nikki because this is fucking bullshit. I do want to talk about the podcast a little bit, Toby. The reporting itself, Justine and her producer, I mean, obviously Justine is, she went to the trial. She's got full access to so many people in the podcast. She's doing her due diligence. But the style here, it's not... um, It's not I I don't want to say I don't want to use the word like it's not passive like she's not doing a thing where 
I think she treats Chris's family with a lot of dignity, which is what you should do. I mean, <laughs> their son died. But she's not doing a thing where they let, and her team is not doing a thing where they let something lie. So, for instance, they call the DA and he's like, well, didn't you know that there were searches on that she did where she looked up ways to kill him and get away with it? And, you know, the producer is like, you mean the searches on his phone? So there's a very, <laughs> it's a very active, really due diligence style of reporting here. What did you think of just the reporting style, the narration style, the writing style of the podcast, Toby? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to, you know, hold people to account for the BS that they're they're trying to spout and, you know, hold their feet to the fire. So it was good. I thought I thought the writing was really good that just from the very beginning when she talks about like the group of women in Poughkeepsie, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like a sentence or two. And she kind of like just gives you this quick but accurate snapshot of this little social group in which... I guess was sort of around the music teacher or whatever, but but sort of the, or the peer group that was there. And Poughkeepsie has a pretty big circle of modern hippie moms. They're semi-progressive. They buy organic. There are a lot of essential oil schemes going on. And part of it is, it's so clear what's going on that it'd almost be irresponsible to, to play it like... In the middle? Yeah. I mean, the, the, you can't really do a, a he said, she said type of thing in this or... You know, we've got to give credence to this. The government's case is just so clearly, you know, it's with bad intent. You know, they're, they're, they're not being honest about things. I don't know if there's like specific violations that they've made, but the decisions that are, are, are made about like what they can show as far as like the pornography that they pull, it's just stuff like that. Obviously, the judge like is from some other era. Oh, in his, judge! His take on things. Um Fuck that so, guy. <laughs> Fuck that Sorry, guy. Toby. Sorry, Toby. It did make me think of some other like high profile cases that are going on right now where you have judges from like an older generation who are kind of trying to preside in a way which I don't think really stands up to scrutiny from society at large. Like it's one thing if you're just doing it in your courtroom and there's like forty people watching and you've got a reputation and people kind of know what's happening. But when you get it in front of a national audience, I mean, I guess there's some people who like it, but it just, it shows how it's like not a great look for the justice system when you've got these judges who have these odd ideas about how cases should be run and and what people's rights are and, you know, who should be given the benefit of the doubt about things. Toby, you couldn't say it it any better because here we have a case where somebody would have died. It is like plain as day that if she didn't kill him, she would have died. Like, what is clearer like than that? Like, because it's a woman. And that's that's the thing here, because it is a woman in this case, like it's not plain for some reason that strips it everything away. And, you know, I was reading a different a different article today uh, where, you know, a woman was sort of outing her husband on Twitter that she'd been talking about for years and years, but never named him. And she finally did because he's a celebrity and is abusing lots of people. And she made the point that when it comes to women, it takes 20 people before somebody believes the accusations against Harvey Weinstein. It takes one person to call a woman crazy for everyone to believe the woman's crazy, right? And that's just where we are. I mean, is there ever a clearer case? Like, what is self-defense other than two people where one person can die 
and the person who's going to die prevents themselves from dying by killing the other person. Like, that is the clearest, most just, like, right? Laura, what do you think? Well, I'm going to say there is a quite infamous case over here in the Seacoast, New Hampshire, Southern Maine area where a woman, what was her name? I think it's Jackie Blevins is her name. Anyway, this woman that that finally shot her abusive husband and she stopped and she reloaded and she shot him again. And she had a defense attorney who managed to successfully put this self-defense claim forward. So it's, it's something that has happened, but I guess it kind of depends on where it happens. And I hate to say, like Toby said, who you have for a judge, like the dinosaur judges, you know. Or the frowny uh, juror. Or the frowny juror. But even the nice juror. juror, Even the the nice juror had internalized misogyny. She was talking about the Peter Pan collar and the whatever. Oh, God. But Toby, Toby, you also sent me a note about that reversal of roles, that the husband and wife roles reversed, right? Making that same point about like if the woman and, and male role were reversed. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, the DA says, you know, if the if the roles were reversed, that you know everybody would want to hang Chris from the rafters or or whatever, and that just seems so clearly not not right. You know, if 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 a woman <laughs> was to abuse her husband in the way that he abused her, and the guy finally killed her, I think he'd be seen as a hero. And yeah. you know, the woman's, you know, she's crazy. She's whatever. I mean, you can you can fill in the blanks. But when he made that comment, I was like, I don't think you're you're thinking this through. <laughs> I don't think you're actually going through the like mental process of, of trying to like play out how that would work. Because I don't think it would happen. Like that actually that. happened in that case in that documentary we saw where that guy like killed his wife and kids and put them in that oil well. Remember that? Yeah. And there were all of those like social media things where they were like, well, she was controlling. Well, yeah. she was difficult. Well, she maybe, you know, it's like people were fucking defending him because, like, what, did she have it coming? Right? Well, their only perfect victim, Rebecca, is, is a it dead, dead victim. victim. Right. And then, and then sometimes you're still not perfect. So, Kevin, I have one final question for you. Yeah. Because you and I were talking about this, and even if, okay, so let's just play it out. I think you and I both agree that she would be dead if she hadn't killed him, right? Yeah. yeah. But even if there were some in-between situation where... She wouldn't be dead if she hadn't killed him and she killed him proactively. And she had were, an opportunity to cleanly retreat and, and there whatever. Were some yeah. ju- and there were some justice that had to be meted out for some reason. Right. What do you think of the sentence that was handed down in that instance? In this instance? No, in the instance that, like, let, let's say it wasn't a die or be killed situation. and it What was- if there were videotape of him attacking her and she shot him in clearly self-defense as if it were... Kenosha. Or what right? if? Or what so if, she gets. She's going to get the proper measure of justice is that she should be held accountable for taking a life. So this is the question: like What ought it be? Months or something, you know? It could be. Look, it could be community service. It could be Nothing. a lighter sentence. Right. Justice is the unbiased application of evaluating the situation and meeting out what the proper punishment is. And you can have a lot of different arguments about that. What happened in this case is they treated her like a hardened criminal. And if it were not for the intervention of legal advocates that pushed for this new sentencing guideline based on domestic violence to be you know, applied, yeah, I mean, she would be there for extra decades. And it's just, it's... 
It's really unfair. I mean, I did not fucking see this podcast coming. It was just an emotional sideswipe. You know, you think it's going to be another kind of true crime thing, and it just it's the most enraging case that I think I've done in the five, six, seven years we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, and it's not unique, as we learned. And it's, it's not, not unique, unique in it's any unique, way. But the genius of it is that there's an issue here to be examined, and that they, whether by accident or on purpose, they ended up with a case that it was so outrageous that it created such a visceral reaction that now you see the issue in a clearer, more urgent way. Right. If you talk about all this stuff, oh, this could happen, the criminalization of survivorhood and like, okay, okay, well, that's an interesting thing, blah, 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 blah. To have been through this, it's like, wow. It's 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 like any kind of wrongful conviction case. If it were not for serial and for in the dark, like we wouldn't feel the same way about this stuff. I don't think it's the case that's different. I think it's the fact that the reporter was there for all the stages. Yeah, of it. well, there's a lot of things. Look, this is this is a very special podcast. I think the cases happen all the time, as we heard in the last episode. They happen a lot to women of color. Yeah, they happen a lot in marginalized yeah. communities all the time. This happened to happen to a white woman of and with some privilege, which is why it rose to the top. And that's talked about. And in that the intelligent podcast. discussion we I talked about in the beginning. Yep. We did get that by yeah. the time we got to the yes. end. Yes, it was there. But the difference and the reason we heard it is because this reporter was there for the whole thing. And that is why, just like within the dark season two, that's why we got the visceral gut punch of it, right? I'm going for a rage walk, Laura. <laughs> Come on All down, right. Kevin. Come on down. Jesus. Have... I'm going to walk from here right to Exeter well, and back. I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. I think this is going to be four thumbs down, right? Should they check out <laughs> Believe Her, a podcast from Luminata Media? I think it's the first podcast we've reviewed from this network, one I've been watching for a long time. I've been wanting to review a podcast from Luminata for a while, and now we here we are. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Believe Her? Um, this is a big thumbs up, even though I was like about ready to like kill someone myself while listening to this podcast because of the injustice that it exposed. It was just really well done. I loved Justine's delivery style. I loved the fact that she came right out and expressed her outrage in the way that she told the story because I don't see how there's any other way she could have told this story. You know, I just hope that getting this podcast out and having people hear this story leads to change. And it's absolutely maddening that in 2021, victims are still being criminalized the way that Nikki is. And good job, Justine, for bringing that out. So big, giant thumbs and toes up with my crazy nail polish that I have on tonight. <laughs> Some Way to make it about up. you, Laura. <laughs> Toby Ball, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like the last two months we've uh, reviewed like five just excellent podcasts. It's like Oscar season um, for podcasts. Yeah, it's, I, I, <laughs> I think it's like probably the best run that we've had. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's exceptional um, in a lot of ways. It's a tough listen. Like the, the abuse that she suffers, it's horrific and you hear all about it. So, but with that caveat, it's just, you know, it's really well reported. It's you know, a, a critical issue, talks to all the right people, frames it in a compelling way. So, you know, it's a really, really big thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I heard a better podcast this year, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> there was a, a more unique, urgent voice delivering it, 
but I can't remember what that person's name was. Uh, there were cases that made me angrier, but I can't tell you what they were. This is just a sui generis podcast. It is unlike anything else. You know, there's not a lot of tricks and, and things like that. The story it tells, it wasn't until all of a sudden the third or fourth episode they realized, what a total shit show. And it landed like a Mike Tyson uppercut. We'll be talking about this for, I hope, a long time. I totally agree. Is that a thumbs up, Kevin? Yeah, that's a big, huge <laughs> fucking thumbs up. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Last week I said that Carrie Lowe Versus was going to be my top 10 list for 2021. Yeah, this fucking podcast is also my top 10 list. For, like, no doubt, no doubt. Believe Her is exceptional. All of the things that you guys said are true. What Toby said about being a tough listen is true. But unlike a lot of other podcasts we listen to are tough listens that you like are hard to listen to. This podcast isn't hard to listen to. It's also like I say this a lot. It is an entertaining podcast insofar as that it's not hard to listen to. It is a good it's not canary. It is a good podcast. Yeah. Like it is a compelling podcast. And one thing we didn't talk about in our review are the small moments that are so important. This podcast addresses childhood trauma and child molestation, which is a thing that like no one ever fucking talks about, which is one of the most common experiences that like unites so many of us that no one talks about. And it addresses it in such a clear way and talks about the shared experience of just like the ways that people play that out in their lives with needing to feel control over a certain part of their lives and their personalities shift. And I found myself listening to this podcast and thinking about the ways that my own life has played out and my family's lives have played out and people that I know's lives have played out. It's not just this case that I'm thinking about when I think about this podcast. It's people around me that I'm thinking about. It's other cases. It's other podcasts. It's other true crime stories. Believe Her hasn't just changed the way I'm thinking about like criminality and, and these kinds of crimes. It's really changed the way I'm just thinking about my life and the lives of people I know. It's really hard to explain. If you have not yet listened to Believe Her, this is a must listen. It is a must listen podcast. Like so many thumbs up for Believe Her. I, I just can't recommend it enough. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business, business section. section. Now we have a Patreon that supports this podcast. And mm -hmm. I just should say, because we don't say it enough. Our Patreon just isn't like a special club. Our Patreon just does help us make this podcast. It's a, a thing that supports our work. It helps us all sit here and do these reviews every week. It's it like it's like helps us pay for this work. So that being said, uh, people join our Patreon for like five or six bucks a month. Like, what will they be getting right now in that feed, Kevin Flynn? Right now in that feed is the latest Crime Writers on After Show. And this week, we're actually going to be stepping away again from the panel. And we're going to have a discussion with Mr. Professor Colin Miller. Legal theory. Why? Because Colin Miller helped with Nikki's... He worked on Nikki's case. He, yeah, he gets involved in a lot of really interesting cases, and here's one that you know we just talked about, and so... I had no idea until I tweeted about the podcast, and he's yeah. like, oh, I worked on that case, and I was like, the fuck? Yeah. I have questions. You know what's amazing? <laughs> <laughs> and you and, you and Laura, you and Toby have questions. Send me your questions. 
We're talking to Colin. Send me your questions. Oh, my God. Legal Siri. I, yeah. I'm so jealous. And that's awesome. Yeah, you want to like, join legal, us for I the conversation? Know, here's what I want to know. Here's my question for Legal Siri. What does he do when he feels the sense of rage and injustice that I feel at hearing Nikki's case? Is he rage walking or is he like, bloop, 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 bloop. here's what Legal Siri says. Take that, court system. Like, how does he process yeah. his rage ah. at Good these cases? question. Like, I walk. I punch things. No, I don't punch things. I walk. I do my thing. I rant and rave. What does Legal Siri do? Knowing Colin, he gets so upset he puts two tea bags <laughs> in his and four milks. Yes. Uh, I think he's a vegan. He's a vegan? Yeah, four soy milks. Four soy milks. <laughs> so by the way, we talked to him. Here's a clip. In 18 years of being an attorney, this was the most difficult, traumatizing case for me to work on. And that's because... Nikki and these other victims are traumatized twice, right? First, they're abused by their partner, and then second, they're abused by the legal system. All right, now we've got a new episode of Leave it to Bricker. It should be titled, Laura Gets into an Old Man's Car. What? <laughs> Laura? And is never did it, seen did again. Did it make you laugh? It made me laugh. Laura? Have you never, like, been told to not get into a stranger's car? It's a 90-year-old man. She could take him. No, what was his I, name, he's Laura? not a stranger. He's a lovely man. So Laura's most recent Leave it to Bricker was talking about the secret tunnels of Exeter. Mm. And she went public with that. And people in Exeter do not agree no. with some of the things about the, the non-nefarious nature of the different tunnels. So... This is a follow-up because everybody had something they wanted to tell Laura. Well, people in Exeter can suck it because Laura's always right. Well, that's what that's what this man said. He said, Laura, you're always... He did say that. He said, I was always right. He also then told me about some other nefarious things happening. And I was like, oh, my. So it when, was a lot of fun. When you got into this 90-year-old man's car, did it smell like cigarettes? Smelled no, like... No, he's a lovely man. He used to... He's, he's a lovely like man. like drops. <laughs> He did no, but there was there was rosary beads and a cross hanging oh. off of the mirror in the front. When All I the in. better so I to strangle like was, you with. I felt like I was safe, I, and I was like, I could make a quick escape. Did he give you a Werther's <laughs> original? <laughs> no. My God! No, he gave me one of those pink peppermints. Toby, isn't the Werther's original awesome? Because like sticks in your teeth, you get to enjoy it for like four hours. Love it. It's yeah. a flavor saver. <laughs> the next, the next morning. I'd break your dentures, Rebecca. <laughs> we have a new episode of These Are Their Stories Out. It's an episode from the original recipe Law & Order called Hate. Who was our guest? Our guest was uh, Suzanne Serretta. Accent guru. Accent guru. Oh. Uh, this was an episode about, well, you know, a Nazi was given his hate speech, and then some people who heard it killed somebody, so McCoy is going to arrest him and cue all the arguments about the First Amendment. You know what I learned? What? Accent guru Suzanne Serretta, friend of the show, was on an episode of Law & Order. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, she had lines and everything. She was actually on but, an episode. But she didn't get to use her good Brooklyn accent that she had. <laughs> We're going to be off. Well, I should say there will not be a new episode of Crime Writers on next Monday after Thanksgiving. By the way, enjoy your Thanksgiving, all our American listeners. Uh, so we're going to have a classic episode. Guess what? We're going to go back and revisit. What's that? American Vandal. Oh, my favorite. Ooh. Yeah. Who oh. drew the dicks? Who, Who drew, drew the, the dicks? dicks, Kevin? Who yeah. drew the ball hair? <laughs> Let's go back and look at that one again. And just want to remind everybody to sign up at CrimeWritersOn.com for our weekly newsletter. The last merch we had were the new 
black leggings. Wear a pair. Yeah, I can say. Kevin is so pissed. You at guys, me. you guys are uh, buying up the leggings. Okay. So wear all you want. We'll make more. Kevin, can you explain to the America why you're pissed at me? I'm not. Oh, because. <laughs> I keep because ordering. we could get it at cost, but I you keep, keep buying the whole, you know, you so just buy it. I get the newsletter like everyone else, and I'm like, ooh, I want the black leggings. Order. And Kevin's like, fuck you. Like, we could just get them. Like, it's our threadless. Like, we can just get them like it costs. And I'm like, no, I want to get them like the people and the experience. Like- it comes in the same mail, Rebecca. <laughs> God Rebecca, damn it. Rebecca, I do the same thing. Um, I order them too. I know. But can I get them at cost, I mean- Kevin? No. Yeah. Well, I can get them. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, you also make four cents. You pay the forty dollars, and then you make four cents. <laughs> the margin is But I'm really excited yeah, to yeah. wear my leggings. Maybe I'll wear them to Thanksgiving. Don't you want to pay the forty dollars to get four cents back, just like I do? I, listen, I am so cheap. I would do that. Yes, I would do that. Every little, every little penny counts, Rebecca. Yes. Yes. All right, Kevin. Before we go back to the podcast, do we have any Patreon? By the way, what are Patreon patron saints? What are, even are they? What are they? Yeah. They're beautific. Okay. They're like our Patreon supporters that we like the most that week? Yes. Okay. So who are our Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Christine Schott and Patricia Constantini. Bless you. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon, listeners, and thanks for enduring our business section. Moving on. So, what brings you here? I don't know. I mean, that's the crazy thing. I, I, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's so silly. Marty is struggling. He inherited the family business. His personal life is a mess. And he lacks the courage to face the world. Enter Dr. Isaac Hirschkoff, who builds his confidence and seems more like a friend than a psychiatrist. That was a stroke of genius. It was, wasn't it? Give me five. Give me ten. Yeah. Give me, give me seven and a half. That? I don't know, it's not, I'm, I'm messing around. Oh, you did it, Marty. You stood up for yourself. But Dr. Ike's unorthodox ways create friction between Marty and his sister. And when he learns his easily exploited patient is extremely wealthy... He works to alienate Marty from his family and take control of his finances. What can I do about it? You don't have to do anything about it. Because I'm going to look after you. I am going to take care of everything. Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd star in the dramedy The Shrink Next Door, adapted from the hit podcast from Wondery and Bloomberg Media. It's the true story of a 30-year manipulative professional relationship and what it takes to break free and stand on your own two feet. We are going to be talking about plot points for The Shrink Next Door, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Now, Laura, I think this show is getting off to a pretty slow start. Here we are. We have Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd, both like leading men in their own ways. Do you feel like they're being used to their best advantage? By the way, we also have Katherine Hahn, who's like mm-hmm. kind of an it girl at the moment, it woman. Yeah. Um, are you feeling them right now? No. No, I'm not. So, I mean, we have Paul Rudd, sexiest man alive. Yes. Yes. Ant-Man. Always Ant-Man, thought Paul Rudd. Man alive. By the way, Paul Rudd has been my sexiest man alive forever. What? For, always. What? Forever he, and always. He's, he's like the sexiest man alive because he's like the sexiest man alive next door. And we have Will Ferrell. And 
I'm just like, there's so many issues with this. I feel like the fact that the podcast was told in this sort of way where we have the setup of the person who's living next door, who tells the story. And this, we just start into the story. But I feel like we have two guys that are like comedians and they're being put into a story that's actually not really comic. It's actually kind of like a what the fuck story. Like this poor guy gets taken advantage of by a shrink for like 30 years. And I don't really feel like it knows what it wants to be. So these guys are like, I'm like, oh, Will Ferrell's not really being funny, but he's kind of trying to be funny. And He's got these funky glasses, which are like the best thing of his character. So, yeah, I just feel like it struggles with um, – and it's slow. I mean, eight episodes? It's slow off the get-go. And I just – I feel like it's just not – like, I don't think I would watch eight episodes at this point. But – so Dr. Death got a similar treatment, right, where it was a wondery podcast, Toby. It was it was like presented in this very kind of like arty weird way that was very different than the podcast it also starred two really famous actors alec baldwin and christian slater framed very differently than the podcast plus pacey of course and didn't come at it in the narrative style of the podcast at all framed completely differently and and started in a different completely different structure do you feel like this is trying to do the same thing that did because i do kind of feel like maybe Wondery and whoever is doing whatever they set this production deal with is like, we're going to make like cinematic treatments of our podcast with A-list stars. This is like the second try at this. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a bunch of things. One is that Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater made sense in the roles that they play in that. And I just, you know, I wonder if like Paul Rudd or Will Ferrell listened to the podcast and like, I, you know, I got to do this. This has got to be my project. Because I like those guys as actors, but they're generally put in roles that kind of accentuate their strengths. And in this, it doesn't play to their strengths at all. I don't know why they would put them in those situations. And there are times when I just feel like it seems so obvious that they're acting because it's just not natural. Like Will Ferrell is funny because he's like so unrestrained. And in this, he's absolutely restrained all the time. And he doesn't. And he doesn't find a way to make that interesting. He, I mean, he just seems kind of repressed. So you know, I, I think the idea was that this is going to be satire, maybe in some way. But it doesn't really work for me on that level. There's there's one kind of funny scene in it, I guess. But yeah, I, Which it's, is it's super slow. Well, I think it's the one that everybody who's been watching this will think is a funny scene, which is the candles when they, <laughs> when they decide to save money by not. Uh, fireproofing the fabric that's a Jesus Christ superstar <laughs> and then everybody's walking around with open flames <laughs> they didn't have candles back then oh god what is that a torch is that real fire or is it stage fire what the fuck is stage fire it's like a luau fire a clam rally some of the other things like the bar mitzvah for Will Ferrell I don't know if that's being played for laughs or whether it's supposed to be sad or or what. Like, you just watch it. I was just like, why is this going on for so long? What am I supposed to make of it? And uh, there's a lot of scenes that seem like they're just there to kind of move the plot along, but aren't very interesting in and of themselves. So it's just like, okay, well, you got to check off that thing so that some other scene down the line makes sense. So I, it's it's very frustrating. 
Kevin, can you just talk about that scene in the Jesus Christ Superstar Theater for a second? Oh. I know you fucking love that I, scene. I did, because it was, it was very much like out of Seinfeld, yeah. right? Where it's the, um, not a comedy of errors, a comedy of manners, right? That it's like, oh, we're just... And then it just it just escalates where it starts with one little, you know, votive candle and then it's big candles and then they come out with torches <laughs> <laughs> and it just keeps building and building. But uh, it served it served its uh, narrative purpose. Look, the casting is really interesting because they are planting a flag about how we, the audience, are supposed to consume this series. And so it's not an insignificant thing to talk about. Look, when you, when you have Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd starting in a role that is not that's not, not something that's a straight up comedy, you know, uh, they they bill it as a dramedy. Why do you want those guys to front it? They they do want to send a signal. It's like if you walk into a restaurant and there's a Mater D in a tuxedo, you're like, oh. This is a different kind of restaurant than the one where there's a high schooler asking you, you know, and giving you the vibrating coaster, and I'll call your name later, right? So what are we supposed to get from this? And I think I think maybe Toby's right that it might have tried to have been satire, but it is really fascinating. They are okay actors as well. I mean, dramatic actors, they always sort of have some kind of emotional scenes in their comedies. I don't know if this is enough to carry it off, and I do have one little thing, you know, the accents that they're using. Well, I can, I, can I just yeah. address that? Can I just address that for a second? Because this show actually spurred a really interesting like debate. Uh-huh. Sarah Silverman on a podcast talked about this um, trend in Hollywood that's been happening, and and by the way, she was very contradictory in her arguments, and she even said like. I'm not even sure I'm right about this, but it is for an interesting conversation about this long time thing that's been going on where ethnic Jews in a lot of like really popular TV shows have been played by non-Jewish actors, mm-hmm. whether or not that's cool or not. And basically where it kind of landed is like, yeah, like non-Jewish people can play Jewish people because Jewish actors play non-Jewish people all the time. But she pointed out a lot of like really prestigious roles like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where like Rachel Brosnahan is not Jewish and like in Transparent, all the actors who play the kids in Transparent, not Jewish. Catherine Hahn, by the way, is also in Transparent. So in Transparent, in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, like, it's acting. And in this show, it seems like an impression. You know it's, what I mean? Yeah, it's a little Woody Allen-ish with... It's, but this yeah. seems like an impression, not of, like not like an inhabitation in a way. You know what I mean? And so then there's accents and things that go with and that. Said, but then you're like, oh, I don't Catherine know. Catherine Hahn is fucking awesome in everything she's in. Well, I mean, there's... Yeah. <laughs> She's a force of nature. Yes. But it's brutal having her in the same, yes. like in the same scenes as, as Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, so one person is really trying hard and the other one's just doing it. And it's it doesn't work well. How dare you deprive me of my money because your therapist told you to? This is my decision. Oh, I'm sure you think it is, Marty, because he's living in your goddamn head. I've been watching Katherine Hahn for years in lots of stuff. She is incredible. She was incredible and transparent. She was, I mean, she's been in so many things, like as bit parts, backgrounds. What was that weird show on HBO she was on where she was masturbating constantly? Oh, a Mrs. <laughs> Fletcher? Mrs. Fletcher. Mrs. Fletcher. 
She was yes. great, WandaVision. I think I she, she actually got nominated for an Emmy. Yeah, yeah. she was. She yeah, I mean, she's she's the best thing in this. This is the year that Catherine Hahn happens. Yeah, she's just she's incredible in everything, and she's wearing like a really distracting wig and lots of distracting costumes in this. Mm-hmm. And you don't even look at those things. The eighties. Okay. Leave it alone. So can we just talk about the story for a second? Yeah, mm-hmm. because here we are, uh, Lara, once again, and this is the thing that's also strange about this story is that unlike Doctor Death. It seems like our psychiatrist here, he's not starting out as on its face, you know, evil, nefarious, like super into it and competent. Like he seems to be starting out in like an okay place, sees an opportunity and is sort of like evolving into a bad guy. And that's like a little bit different than some of these other wondery stories that we've been presented with, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, we see the setup. The first sort of scene is like, oh, okay, well, you don't like the office. We'll go walk on the street. And then the next thing you know, like Marty, Will Farrell's character is like buying a frame for like his little weird obsession that he has for having framed pictures of himself with celebrities, which we later find out when Will Farrell has to like take a picture of him from across the room. It's like, oh, I'm going to run behind Rebecca Lavoie and be like, oh. Like, we're in a picture together because <laughs> um, she has really good hair. You know, so we see this sort of slow, gradual build into what we know because we listen to the podcast becomes this, like, 30-year, really boundary-crossing, very dysfunctional relationship. But I honestly feel like the way that it's being told is just meandering along at a pace that is just too slow. And there's just no suspense to me. And it's repetitive. It's like, you know, you see the same things like happening over and over again. Like you see, like he gets taken advantage of first with the picture, then at the bar mitzvah, and then the curtain shop job where he like gets the job for the, you know, Broadway show and doesn't put the fire retardant on. And then oh, now he's consulting at the fabric factory that Will Ferrell owns. So you see this sort of gradual build, but it's just, it's not, for me anyway, enough to keep me watching. And and I listened to the podcast, but people who didn't listen to the podcast, like what's going to keep them watching? Like, I'm like, oh, I wonder how they're going to adapt this. I'm kind of curious to see how, what their take on it is. But it is like slow. It meanders. It's repetitive. It's just not interesting. I think, like, one of the good choices I think they make is to start it off with that scene that takes place at the end of the whole thing where they're having the party and Will Ferrell's, like, having to pick up cups and stuff and getting really pissed off. And, you know, I think that's smart just because it's, again, there's no suspense. So the only thing that's kind of keeping you engaged is how the hell does he end up, like, being this guy's, like garden guy you know how how does that happen i mean that's the only thing that would keep my attention so i think that was a smart move but there's nothing at stake i mean right. there's there's just nothing uh, who do you like in this like maybe katherine Hahn, but i yeah. mean the only thing at stake is whether or not she's gonna get her family's money or is she their money or not but just like you know that's important for her but like is that a bigger thing right yeah it's just like one thing after another it's just like you know i yeah i <sighs> Well, I'll I'll argue, Toby, that who they want you to like is Paul Rudd, because he is, as an actor, he is charming as fuck, and he, I don't think in the end you want want to like Dr. Ike, but they're betting on him being charming enough and having enough goodwill with the audience that you're willing to go along with the character 
and start off with the like idea Pacey? that he's okay, like Pacey? and then come to the idea that he's not. But they subvert it almost immediately, though, yeah. when he's like, not only did he have to pay me to do this thing, but he had to pay for all the clients that I wasn't yeah. going to be doing. So I'm like, Don't. it's like, really? Like I, I will yeah. say, yeah. Well, that's not the fault of the casting director. Let's go say. play basketball. Oh, by the way, you were on the <laughs> clock the whole time. I you say, just paid me to play pickup basketball. Kevin made a good point, though, just then, because in Dr. Death... Where we saw Joshua Jackson slash Pacey slash Dr. Dunge actually killed like two people in the first episode. They still managed to make us like, I hate to say like, like him or at least like care, like in some way connect with him. Because the casting was like yeah. dead spot if it was on. Steve Buscemi, we would not feel the same about either of those characters. But Casting I, is important, but which I is why give, I think it was I worth yeah. I also don't give a shit about Paul Rudd, and that is fucking hard I, for I'm me. Sa- I'm not saying that Paul Rudd is going to carry this and that you're wrong to feel the way that you, you feel about it. Do you know what it would it? take I'm for saying- me to not care about Paul Rudd? Like, Ant-Man is a fucking terrible movie, and I cared about Paul Rudd in that movie. Well, there's <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife coming out soon, so... <laughs> he was so small, Rebecca. I was so worried about him in that movie. He was so small. He was the Ant-Man. <laughs> he was an ant. I was so afraid. <laughs> Was he small or was everybody else just enormous? I, I mean, haven't seen it. I mean, can we just talk about Clueless now for the next five minutes instead of talking about this fucking stupid? <laughs> Toby doesn't know what you're talking about. It's uh. <laughs> Toby. What will it take to get you to watch Clueless? And will you no, watch, watch it? Clueless. Will you watch it and tape yourself watching it, and then we could play your you know reactions how, you know to this podcast? Boring. I don't talk during movies. Okay. Will you watch it, and then can we talk about it on an after show? It's gonna be like, hey, can I pause it for a second? I need to get some water. No. <laughs> okay. Can you watch? That's it? like the highlight. Can you Rolling watch? Has Juno? Has Juno seen <laughs> Clueless? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure several times. All right. Well, can you watch Clueless at some point? And then can we talk about it on a future after show, please? Yeah, sometime in the next five years. Great, 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 great. All right. I, I, are we done? Do we have more to yep. say? We're done with this nonsense. All right. So I think we should do what we do. <laughs> Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Shrink Next Door, the adaptation of the Wondery podcast? It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Um I'm sorry, guys. I know we didn't, like, I got through all your notes, though. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Shrink Next Door? Um, I'm sorry to say I do love Will Ferrell. And I was very worried for Paul Rudd when he was the Ant-Man because he was so small. (laughs) 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 But, no. No. The um, podcast was really interesting. This doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know if it wants to be a comedy, a drama, it doesn't know. I don't think it transitioned well. Um, there's plenty of other things to watch on Apple Plus. The morning show is back now with Reese Witherspoon. I will be trying that out next. Um, but I would say no to this. Toby Ball. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't talk about uh, comparing this to Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short. Go ahead. Compare it. What do you think? They were better. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, there's I, you know, there's just, there's no chemistry between... Rudd and Farrell. I, I I saw the I saw the preview and I was like, oh god, this looks horrible. And then it turned out that it was horrible, but not in the way that I thought it was going to be from the preview. It was like all the things that I thought, like it's like, well, at least you got good actors, like that'll be fine. And I, you know, Sarah Silverman, she's right. You know, they're doing impressions, and I don't know why. 
Like we just watched, we watched Chernobyl a few years ago and they're all talking in British accents. They're supposed to be Russian, you know, it's like, and it was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what the fuck? like you just ruined this entire, you know, anyway, it's bad. It's, it's not well-written. The acting's bad. Catherine Hahn is awesome, but it's not enough. So thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. It's like uh, Paul Rudd's um, aftershave in Anchorman, mm. Sex Panther. Eighty <laughs> percent of the time, it sucks all the time. <laughs> no, look, I'm actually gonna surprise everybody. I'm a mild thumbs up. I don't think it's great. It's certainly not as good as Only Murders in the Building. It's not as good as Doctor Death. But I find myself interested, wanting to see where the story goes. I do think that Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell are interesting to to watch. I'm kind of still in it for them, but I can't disagree that they haven't presented the story in the strongest way possible, but as someone who didn't listen to the podcast, I'm still down to find out where it goes. All right, so I think Will Ferrell isn't just a great comedian. I think Will Ferrell is a great actor. I really do. Uh, I am a Paul Rudd fan from way, 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 way fucking back, and Catherine Hahn is one of my favorite actors. This show fucking sucks. It completely sucks. Its analog is Dr. Death because I do believe this was part, and I know it had to have been part of like a package IP deal. I really know it was like a, you know. That's how Wondery works. They can sell off all their podcasts. And, you know, including Manslaughter, the musical. Yeah, and Dr. Death, like (laughs) it was also an A list like thing. Dr. Death, like, I gave it a huge thumbs up, right? It was arty. It was excellent, yeah. It was weird. It was funny. Like, every episode was different. And, like, I wouldn't have been surprised if there had been, like, a musical episode in Dr. Death. Like, it was so strange. And I hate, like, I didn't hate, but, like, I didn't love the podcast. But, like, they did, like, they changed it and they made it cool. And um, this show is just not good. Uh, maybe it'll get good later, but, you know, a few episodes in, it should be way better than it is. And it's not Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell's fault, but man, it's just, it's not written well and it's not directed well. Uh, don't love it. So big thumbs down for me uh, for The Shrink Next Door. I'm sorry, Paul and Will. I know you're listening, Paul, and I know that you care what I think, Paul, because I've been with you for so long, Paul. And I hope Paul's you'll still- so handsome. Paul, He's so sexy. I, I hope that you'll still be my third husband someday. But um, Steve Martin's sorry. relieved that you haven't uh, dethroned Only Murders in the Building. <laughs> Steve, man, Only Murders in the Building is still the best. Shrink next door can suck it. Big thumbs down for me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. week. Besides Kevin giving a thumbs up to the shrink next door. In China, a social media influencer has been banned from an all-you-can-eat restaurant for eating too much. A man named Mr. Kang has been banned from the Handadi Seafood Barbecue Buffet in Kangshaw City. He live-streams his visits to the restaurant Viewers saw him down three pounds of pork trotters, then returned to eat nine pounds of prawns. The restaurant owner says he's losing a lot of money each time Mr. Kang does a broadcast. He says the guy doesn't even use the buffet tongs. He just dumps the whole tray on his plate. In his defense, Mr. Kang consumes everything and doesn't waste any of the food. And if they can't afford it, the buffet shouldn't be, quote, all you can eat. 
The problem may be moot. The Chinese government is proposing a crackdown on people live streaming their restaurant visits, afraid it may promote food waste amid concerns of food shortages. Panel, if Mr. Kang can't live stream from the Handati Seafood Barbecue Buffet, what alternative programming can he offer? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Oh, dear God. I don't know. I, I'm going to say if this is about the food waste, he might be able to like live stream from the whatever version of like we have our, our local transfer station. You can now compost. So maybe you could go there ah. to see what people are bringing in for food waste. Not bad. Um, yeah. That's very, very uh, eco-conscious, Laura Bricker. What do you think, Toby? I am. This feels like one of those ones I should have read beforehand instead of mm. trying to think of this one on the fly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, uh, the only thing I could think about is, did you see the happy days where they they put the quarters on their on their yeah. forearms yes. and they have to catch them like that? Yeah. That was the best I could come up with. Kevin Flynn, what do you what? think? That's what he would do. <laughs> he was uh, li- live stream the the quarter live stream catching. the quarter. Ca- oh, all right. Um, I think Mr. I think Mr. Kang should probably live stream himself from the toilet, passing those prawns. That's what I said. Ugh. Mr. Kang's toilet TV. Get the other end of the production line going, right? Oh, but who the uh, heck's going to watch you guys that? That's called the sequel. I'm I mean, nightmare. It's the internet, oh. guys. I would much rather watch the quarter catching. That's true. Um, <laughs> me too, by the way. No, thank right. you, Kevin. We should probably end it on that note before we do, Lara Bricker. Do we have, drum roll please, a cat of the week this week? Rebecca, yes. just for you. Is it a dog? Two dogs oh, for you, Rebecca. Two dogs. I'm going to die. They come to us from Megan Linton. Megan is a longtime Crime Writers On listener, been listening to us since way back in the OG serial days. Every single episode. Also, a huge These Are Their Stories subscriber. Yes. Also. Thank you. Wait, wait. There's more. An HGTV and Me subscriber. Yes. What the fuck with those tiny houses, guys? What the fuck? once answered her question on Married With Podcast and... She took your advice, but she's she, single she has, now. <laughs> yeah, no, she's not. Her husband divorced. She her. has <laughs> two dogs, Major and Bear. Please forgive Bear's diaper. He's embarrassed by it, but he's fourteen Aww. and he's forgotten that we potty outside and don't. Oh, there. So she has these adorable two little dogs. Um, they look like I'm not really sure, kind of cross dogs, like rescue dogs, but they are just sleeping away. Oh, oh, what? There's the doggy weenie show. One of the dogs is showing his weenie. We might have to cover that up. Just gonna say. So, Megan, thank you for sending in your Laura, dogs. Laura, I love is that them. you making that commentary? I'm just looking at you. Yeah. Yeah, because look, it's a doggy weenie show. Laura, it's a dog's penis. You think that's like something wrong with that? Like that's fine. Well, I'm just saying that dog wants to show his weenie. I'm Stop just being saying. such a prude. I guess Mr. Kang found his alternative. <laughs> I'm such Programming. Rude, Rebecca. <laughs> I'm like Pollyanna, didn't you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Lar Bricker. If people want to submit their animals to you to be cat of the week, of course they could be any kind of animals. I prefer dogs. Lar prefers cats. Toby prefers cats. Kevin prefers anything but cats, right? <laughs> Kevin likes hedgehogs. I also like tiny ponies, by the way. Uh, of course, you can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. <laughs> you, can commit to, you can send it to us on Facebook. But Laura Bricker, if folks want to tweet to you, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. You should follow us all on Twitter, by the way. We're all awesome. Toby Ball, folks Megan wanna... follows us on Twitter. She does. Toby, if folks want to follow you on Twitter, how can they find you? At Toby Ball NH. 
Kevin Flynn, if folks want to follow you on Twitter, how can they find you? I'm at twitter.com slash Kevin P. Flynn. <laughs> and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I strenuously encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can go to our regular Facebook page and click Join the Group. The odds are a couple questions. They're really easy, and we will let you in if you don't appear to be an asshole. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is the incredibly handsome Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where only the very tops of our curtains are fireproof. Just the top. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Come on, I'm taking a picture of my shirt. I've got my... Oh, you can't see it. Never mind. It just looks like I'm taking a picture of my boobs. Same thing. Uh. Is in crime, crime media. media.